Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Out of this year, which isn't always a bad thing because I have six kids. So <laughs> when I'm sleeping or trying to sleep, I can just lay on this ear and everything's good. So part of me is hoping the surgery wasn't successful. Uh, but. Uh, you know, with that, they, they put in two prosthetic hearing bones, stitched me back up like Frankenstein. I need to tell the, uh, the doctor that I don't think she put it up as high as it's supposed to, so I might have to fix that. But afterwards, there was a lot of pain for a few days and a lot of dizziness, right? So even as recently as Monday or Tuesday, I couldn't walk like 10 feet without getting super dizzy. So Pastor Rod was checking on me every day, asking me, are you sure you're going to be able to preach? Please don't wait until Saturday to tell me, <laughs> right? But, but thank God here I am feeling better. I wanted to tell you all that. That way, if I start to wobble a little, somebody will just bring a chair up. That'd be great. If you see blood dripping out of my ear, don't get freaked out, okay? It's normal. It's fine. Just bring me a tissue. Yeah, bring me a tissue, and we'll keep going. Amen. All right, so let's jump into it. How many worriers do we have in the house today? Who, who likes to stress themselves out, right? So anxiety is something that is looked down upon. Sometimes it's scary to admit that we deal with anxiety, right? But today, I, I want to really go after it. I want to attack anxiety a little bit, see if we can get some healing from that. Um, I, I got a little bit anxious here because Jerry just took his shoes off, okay? So, <laughs> sorry, Jerry. Sorry. Uh, I caught that one. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I mean, we worry too much, right? Like, I'll be laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep, and for whatever reason, I will make the poor choice to think about finances, knowing that that's just going to keep me up even longer. But I do it anyway, right? Now, let me preface all this by saying that my wife and I, our family, we're insanely blessed. We're truly blessed, right? And I'm not just saying that because I'm up here and I have a moral obligation, you know, to tell you I'm blessed. It's nothing like that. We truly are amazingly blessed. We have a great marriage. Um, she's my best friend. She left after the first service, so she can't say differently, thank God. Uh, but we have a great marriage. I love her. It's, you know, our, our marriage is worth fighting for and worth living for, right? We've got six amazing children, Zeke, Isaiah, Caleb, Lucy, Lucas, and Gracie. I'm pretty sure I named all of them. Uh, but I, they're all amazing. They're beautiful in their own ways. They're all quirky, talented. They've all got, you know, great futures ahead of them. Um, and I said in the first service, I'm going to say again because I truly do mean this, if there's any business owners in the house or managers that are hiring, my two oldest sons need a job, uh, so please <laughs> come talk to me after service. Um, this is my best way of getting that out there for them. Uh, but we've been, we've been blessed with, just with this church, with this family here at Coastal, to be able to come in and worship with you all freely every Sunday morning. But uh, more than that, we get to do life with you all, right? There's so many people here that we've shared a meal with, that we've been able to help, and they've been able to help us when we're in time of need. Uh, it's just amazing to have an extended family like this. And I've been blessed with a great job at Amazon. I've worked for them for over 10 years, moved all over the place, been promoted. Um, so I've got, you know, good salary, great benefits. Because of that, we also have a nice house, reliable transportation. We, you haven't gone without food or anything like that. We get to go on vacations. Like, we are tremendously blessed. 
And I want you to know I'm not saying any of this to brag on myself. This is not what this is about. You'll understand a little bit as I go further as to why I'm bringing all this up. But let me just be real with you. I am a community college dropout, okay? I have made a lot of bad decisions in my life. So where we are today is not because of me. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't been faithful and uh, walked through the doors that God has opened up for me because we are, there's a requirement on our behalf too. But where we are today is 100% because of God and his grace and his mercy. Amen. Amen. Yet, for some reason, I'm still haunted by discontent. Right? I still stress out over finances every single month. Right? We, we haven't missed a payment or a bill on something I don't know how long, but yet every month I find myself praying, asking God, how are we going to make it through? How are we going to have food the last week of the month? How are we going to pay these bills? And, and there's no logic behind it. Right? There's no historical context for me to say that, that we're not going to make it because God has always provided, and he continues to, but yet I still struggle with it. And Pastor Rod made a good point last week when he said that it's so easy for us to believe God for eternity, but we have such a hard time believing God for today, right? So the title of my message today is In Every Situation. Uh, Pastor Rod and Val have been going through a topic of walking with God, so I figured this kind of fits with that. We, we need to walk with God in every situation. Sounds good, right? Uh, and just so you know, I'll be preaching to myself today. I, I really, whenever I get a chance to preach, I always want to dive into something that God's been working on my heart with, right? And then I'll get time to pray about it, study about it, and then I get the opportunity to get up here and share with you all and hope that you all gain something from it. And if you don't, just clap anyway and act like you do, and, and we'll move on. You know, it'll be great, right? Um, it's also kind of a running joke with some of my friends that whenever I preach, I base it on one of my tattoos because I've got scripture all over my, my tattoo or all over my arm. Um, that way, if I get lost or something in the sermon, I can just look down. You know, it, it helps me out. Um, so I'm going to keep that theme going today. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 is where I'm going to start. I've got that tattooed right here. Uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And in the English Standard Version, which is my preferred translation, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it continues in verse 7 to say, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I've got three points today. Super simple. We're going to get these three points and get out of here. No subpoints because I don't have the mental capacity for that anyway. Uh, so three points. Point number one, do not be anxious, right? Sounds simple enough, but why can't we do it? Well, before we get a little more into that, I, I want to say that it, I think it's important for us as believers, as Christians, to understand context when we're talking about Scripture, when we're reading Scripture. A lot of times, and I'm guilty of this, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but we'll read a Scripture, we'll just kind of flip through our Bible, play Bible roulette, uh, or is that how you say it? Roulette? Yeah. Um, and you just pick a verse and you read it, or you'll open up the Bible app on your phone and it has the verse of the day, right? And you just uh, take a few words and apply that to your life. And I'm not saying that's bad by any means, right? Like God, all scripture is God breathed. He can use even a single word or two, Jesus wept. Like he can use that and he can bless you with it, right? But when you really dive into scripture and you understand the context, the who, what, when, where, and why it was written, then it, it takes the revelation and the understanding of that scripture and the application of it in your life 
to a whole nother level, right? So while we can play Bible roulette and, and pick a verse and use that, that's going to work sometimes. But I encourage you to really understand the context of Scripture because that will help take it to the next level. So let's look at Philippians and the context of it. Who wrote it? Anybody? Who wrote Philippians? Paul. Right, exactly. We've got a few people paying attention. That's good. Paul wrote Philippians. What was he writing? It was an epistle or a letter. Some people called it the epistle of joy. Uh, When did he write it? Sometime around 60 AD is when it's believed to have been written. We don't have an exact date, but somewhere around there uh, when he was imprisoned in Rome. Where did he write it? Again, he was imprisoned in Rome, but he was writing it to the church in Philippi. Uh, And why did he write it? He wrote it uh, to encourage or to show his appreciation for the church in Philippi, but then also to encourage them uh, to keep the faith and to find their joy in Christ Jesus in regardless of the situation, right? Um, So think about this for a second. Paul was in jail. He wasn't in jail for murder or for robbery or for anything like that. He was in jail simply for preaching the gospel, right? And us, especially in America, we don't really have context for that. We don't really have a grasp for somebody going to jail simply for preaching the gospel. Maybe some of you that, you know, from South Africa or from Canada, you might have experienced a little more persecution than we do here in the States, but we don't have that here. Thank God. Praise God that we don't have that level of persecution. So just imagine being put in jail for doing nothing wrong, simply for preaching the gospel, right? And then still being able to find joy in that, right? Some of us have a hard time finding joy in church, let alone in prison, right? So Paul had every earthly right to be upset. He had every right to be frustrated, to be angry with people. He had every right to be anxious and afraid, but yet he chose to be content and to lean on prayer. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, we'll break this down just a little. So first, Matthew talks about not being anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, which is perfect, uh, you know, talking about the fast. Coastal, we're doing a fast for this month. Joey talked about the calendar over there, right? We've asked people to sign up for a full-day fast where you fast all food from sunup to sundown or sunup to sunup, however you want to do it. Um, But we've also asked folks to choose something to fast throughout the month, whether it's a meal a day, a certain type of food, certain type of drink, um, and, and I said it in the first service, but there, I've been asked before, true story, I've been asked if you can fast alcohol. And, and I suppose you can, but if you have to call it a fast, then you've probably got bigger issues there. <laughs> Just saying, right? Some people, 
have chosen to fast, uh, you know, Facebook or social media or, or other activities, right? Personally, I have chosen to fast all liquids except for water. And for those of you that know me, you know that I don't drink water, right? I drink soda, mainly cold red Mountain Dew, or I drink coffee. And there's plenty of water in those two things to keep me hydrated, right? And so this requires a significant amount of sacrifice on my behalf. It really does, you know, because I'm trusting that God is going to sustain me even without all that caffeine, without all that sugar that my body is used to, you know? And, and you may say, well, you don't need caffeine or sugar to survive, but I believe mental health is just as important <laughs> to your physical well-being as the nutrients that you put into your body, right? And, and when I drink an iced caramel macchiato or an iced cold Code Red Mountain Dew, that makes me happy, okay? <laughs> it does. And that joy adds years to my life, okay? It's science. It's true. It's science. You know, it's out there somewhere. But when I drink water, on the other hand, water makes me sad. <laughs> it's just not good for my taste buds, you know? It's just not. But I have chosen to sacrifice this month, and it's going to help me to grow spiritually, and it's going to help me to not be anxious in the future. If I can't make it to Yes Coffee to get one of their amazing iced vanilla lattes, or I can't have a soda with my dinner, I won't be anxious because I know I will survive. Amen? Uh, but, but seriously, right? In America and other first world countries, we're so spoiled, right? When you look at that passage in Matthew, it, yeah, it says, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. But it's not like he was saying, don't worry about whether you can have soda or coffee or water or whether you can have steak and shrimp. It, he was saying, don't worry about the fact that you're going to be able to eat. God is going to provide for you no matter what, right? You don't have to stress over it. You don't have to be anxious because God will sustain you. He will provide so that you can survive. But for us, and especially kids these days, like, if they don't have exactly what it is they want to eat or what they're looking forward to, or it's not quite as easy for them, then they get stressed out. They get anxious, right? They feel like they don't have anything at all. And my daughter Lucy is a perfect example of this. And don't feel bad for her because I warned her that I was going to pick on her, okay? So she, she's good. She's a good sport. She'll take it. Uh, but when we go grocery shopping, we'll go to Sam's Club. We'll fill up, you know, for the month, and right afterwards, she'll go and look through the fridges and the pantries and the freezers, and then she'll come to Rachel and I and ask us if we can go out to eat. And then we'll say, well, well, well why, Lucy? Why do you want to go out to eat? And she'll say, well, we don't have anything to eat here. <laughs> and then I'll start naming things. that we. Well, usually I get annoyed and frustrated, but I'm working on that. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, I'll start naming off things that, that we have, and then eventually she'll say, well, but I don't want to make anything. And, and that's the, the root of it. That's the real key. And I'm not just picking on her because I'm just as guilty of it, right? And I know many of us are. It, we want fast food. We don't want to make food, right? And because what we have an expectation of isn't there, we start to get stressed out. We start to get anxious and feel like we don't have anything at all, when in reality we do. God has already provided for us. It's all there. We just have to work for it just a little bit, right? And so uh, after talking about the food and drink, Matthew then talks about clothing. And real quick, I, I wasn't going to do this, but now I decided I'm going to anyway. Lily, can you come up here? My niece Lily, I'm, I'm asking her to join me up here. And I want to give an example, right? Because if you look back in, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, right? 
and they neither toil nor spin and all that. So I, I wanted to give a, a perfect example. See, you've got children, little children. They don't get anxious or stress out over what they're going to wear because their parents dress them, and they know their parents are going to dress them, right? Most of the men in here probably don't stress about it because their wives are probably clothing you, right? <laughs> so, so you don't have to stress about it. Lily doesn't have to be anxious about what she's going to wear because the Bible says that God is going to clothe her, right? Now, the unfortunate part of that is that if you continue on for like the next line, it says, you know, God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. So that's not really a good outlook for you, Lily, (laughs) the oven part of it. But no, I appreciate you coming up here and being a good sport. Head back to the oven. I mean, your seat. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Seat. But, but when we talk about clothing, right, like children get anxious about clothing, and my children especially make me anxious about the, their clothing, right? And, and Caleb, he's a, a good example of this, because whenever we go to the beach or whenever we go to a friend's house that has a pool, every single time he says, I don't have swimming trunks. I'm like, what about the ones that we just bought you? Because it feels like we're constantly buying him some. And he'll always say, oh, well, they don't fit me anymore, or I can't find them, or they're dirty. And it, it makes me very anxious because I know that we've bought him three or four pair in the last year. Lucy, again, I'm going to pick on her again. She's, she's my favorite oldest daughter, so that's why I get to pick on her. Um, a couple weeks ago, she comes out of her room and proudly announces to everybody that she has over 20 jackets and sweaters in her closet. And I will tell you, this was not my proudest moment as a, a parent because I realized all this stuff I'm saying about her is my fault, right? Because I've spoiled her and, and we continue to do so. Right? But she comes out and announces that. A couple days later, she's getting ready for school, and it's cold outside. And I say, Lucy, why don't you have a jacket on? And she says, well, I don't have one that I can wear. <laughs> but you just said a couple days ago that you have 20 jackets. Well, apparently, only one of them fits the dress code because they can't have words or logos and all that. And she had worn that the day before, so she can't wear it again, right? You know? <laughs> but, but, folks, we... We stress ourselves out about things that aren't really that big of a deal, right? In Matthew, it's talking about us not worrying about what we're going to wear. And in those days, I guarantee you, they didn't worry whether or not they had a different robe for every day, right? They were just happy to have something. But in today's culture, today's times, if we don't have exactly what we want, we get stressed out. And whether it's because we're seeking validation or we're seeking out earthly treasures or whatever, right, we let ourselves get anxious about things that don't actually matter. Well, in verse 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you, right? If you seek first the kingdom, I promise you, you'll be content. And that brings me to point number two, the cure for anxiety is contentment. And again, I'm not a scientist, I don't have a PhD, but I would be willing to bet that if they did a study where they, you know, monitored people's brains, I'd be willing to bet that contentment and anxiety can't live together. They can't be cohesive within the same brain, right? Now, if you look at another passage, or let's look at another passage here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 13 through, uh, 11 through 13. Again, Paul's in prison, so let's keep that in mind as we read this. I'm not saying this out of need, for I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I know how to live humbly, and I know how to abound. I am accustomed to any and every situation, to being filled and being hungry, to having plenty and having need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Now remember, Paul's in prison here, 
but he also had a massive ministry, probably the largest ministry in the history of the earth, right? I mean, he wrote a good portion of the Bible. So when he wasn't in prison, he had tons of churches that were supporting him financially, the Church of Philippi, as well as many others. So when he wasn't in prison, he didn't have to worry about what he was going to eat, didn't have to worry about what he was going to wear, didn't have to worry about how he was going to pay for his next missions trip or anything like that, right? Because he was taken care of, because God was using the churches to bless him, right? But he was also in prison a lot. And in those times, he was starving, he was naked, he was being beaten. And yet, even though he had every earthly right in those moments to be upset, to be anxious, he still chose to be content, which absolutely amazes me, right? He was content because he knew that God was going to continue to take care of him just as he always had before. So we can't stress ourselves out over the little things that God has already taken care of because doing so, quite honestly, shows where our faith is, right? Do we believe that what God has given us is truly enough or do we feel the need to keep up with the Joneses, right? I can tell you that you don't necessarily need to have a gold chain to survive, right? You don't necessarily need 20 jackets. You don't need the newest pair of Jordans to go to school or anything like that. We want those things. And in our spoiled culture in America, a lot of times we feel like we need those things, but we don't really. Now, I also want you to know that I'm not saying that you have to be poor to be righteous. I don't believe that at all, by any means, right? And I'm not saying that you have to give away all of your possessions to be a Christian, although there is a precedent for that in the Bible, right? But those are for specific people. That's between you and God, right? I'm simply saying that we need to ask ourselves, are we content in what God has given us? If everything that we have were to pass away, would we still love God? Would we still praise him? Would we still be faithful? And those are things that we need to search our own hearts to find the answer for. Let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start in verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. We came into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave with nothing. So all the ice and drip, which for those of you that don't understand today's lingo, ice is basically jewelry. Drip is like a really nice outfit, right? That's what the kids call it. So all of that ice and drip that you have, when you die, it's going to stay here, okay? Just saying, right? Let's, uh, and also learning to be content right? when you know that you just need to eat, regardless of what it is, when you know that all you truly need is to be clothed, you don't need all the extra stuff. When you learn to be content in that manner, I guarantee you, you'll have a better quality of life. You won't be anxious anymore, and you'll be a better witness to the world. So let's look a little bit later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It goes on to say, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, right? So you can be rich and be a Christian. It says it right there, right? Like you can be rich and be a Christian 
but you can't be rich and selfish and wanting more for selfish desires. It says that you need to be rich in good works, right? You need to do good. You need to be generous. You need to freely give just as God has freely given to you. Amen. Don't stress over what you have or don't have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now remember, Paul said that he knew how to live humbly and he knew how to abound. So regardless of what circumstance or situation you're in today, we need to remember to be content and know that God has got us right where we're at. And I also recognize that it is easier for me to stand up here and talk about being content, right? And some of you may be saying, well, you know, you explained all those things that God has blessed you with at the beginning. So sure, it's easy for you to get up there and say you should be content and not worry about these things because what do you really have to worry about? But I want to tell you that I haven't always been in this position. I've been in the humblest of positions too. So Rachel and I were both on our second marriage, right? Thank God for for second chances. Um, After my first marriage ended, I didn't just lose my wife. I lost my car, my house, and my job. And I was homeless for a couple of months where I was asking, begging friends to, to sleep on their couch. Until my car was impounded, I slept in my car a few times, right? I mean, I was searching for anybody that would take me in. Luckily, after a couple months, I was able to get another job. But even then, I went about a year or two where I was just in a spiral of alcoholism, drug use, and I just wasn't being faithful to God. I, I still loved God. I still believed in God, but I was by no way following him or being faithful to him. Right? And there would be times where I'd be halfway through the work week or the pay period, and I'd only have five bucks to my name, and I had to make a decision. Do I uh, buy a 10-pack of ramen noodles to get me through the week, or do I go to the taco truck and get a big burrito now so that I can fill myself up and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow? Or the, the third option, which won a lot of times, uh, I was a heavy smoker at the time. So the next option was, do I get a pack of cigarettes and worry about food later? And I can tell you, I went many times where I would go several days without any food at all or very little food, right? But thankfully, God didn't let go of me. God didn't, he didn't let me stay there, right? Like he, I knew that he was always around. I knew that his desire was for me to, to be with him. I knew that he loved me. I was just being rebellious for a time, right? But thankfully, after a year or two, he kind of had the light bulb go off in my head and I, I called a friend of mine uh, who I had lived with uh, you know, a few years prior before I got married. I lived with him and his family, um, and he was a pastor. And so I asked him if I could come rent a room from them again. Um, and, and it wasn't just because I needed a place to stay. It was because I had realized that I needed the accountability and I needed the godly influence in my life. And thankfully, they accepted me back in. I rented a room from them. I actually shared a room. I rented a half a room. I had my side with a twin bed, and there was another guy named Ty uh, around the same age, he rented the other side of the room. Um, and we lived there for three or four years in a very humble place, right? And I want to tell you, God didn't just change all of my circumstances overnight. Like, I didn't go from being completely broke and poor and having nothing to, you know, to having a nice car and everything overnight. It took several years. But what I found is that contentment got a lot easier the more faithful I was. And that brings me to my third and final point. The key to contentment is faithfulness. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. 
And the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And what I found through experience is that life is basically made up of a collection of choices, a series of tests, right? God will always provide for you no matter what. He's always going to give you enough. But the test is whether or not you recognize it. The test is whether or not you trust him for what he's giving you to survive, right? Or do you trust in yourself, right? And there may be teenagers or young adults out here uh, that have dreams or goals of becoming rich and famous, whether it's a YouTuber or, you know, a musician or athlete or something like that. And maybe you have good desires behind that. You want to help your family. You want to give back to your community. And I hope and pray that all of those dreams come true. But I want you to know that it's probably not going to happen overnight, right? And, and if it doesn't happen right away, are you still going to be faithful with what you have now? That's the key. Be faithful with what you have right now, and then God will give you more. And then be faithful with that, and he'll give you more, right? It's a series of choices, of tests that he will put you through. Now, this is the awkward part of the service where I begin to talk about tithing. Just wanted to uh, throw that out there just so you know uh, we're not going to pass the baskets around after this, okay, nothing like that. However, if you do feel led, we do have the black boxes on either side of the stage here, either side of the media booth. Feel free to give, right? But I, I'm not talking about this by any means to guilt anybody or to try to manipulate. I'm not trying to raise money for the church. I don't receive any financial uh, gain from the church whatsoever, so there's no benefit here. Pastor Rod had no clue that I was even going to talk about this, right? So the purpose of me talking about this is 100% so that you all can understand faithfulness and then contentment and how with contentment you cannot possibly be anxious, right? Um, and we're often afraid to talk about money in church, right? Because there's been pastors out there that have uh, done wrong by people, that have manipulated people, and they've used proceeds from the church for uh, for the wrong reasons, right? And because of that, there's so many churches that are afraid to address it at all. And that's crazy to me because the Bible talks about money over 2,350 times, right? There's roughly 15% of what Jesus wrote about or what Jesus taught about that was related to money, right? So if there is that many things in the Bible, that many things that Jesus talked about that related to money, why are we so afraid to address it in church, right? We need to talk about it. We need to talk about money. So I'm going to give a testimony real quick uh, because I like to share from experiences because you can't argue with my experiences. They, they are my truth, okay? Um, but I'm going to give a testimony about what happens or what has happened in my life when we didn't tithe or when we missed a tithe, right? My wife and I firmly believe in the principles of tithing, but we realized a couple months ago that we've made it almost like a check-the-box type of exercise, right? I get paid the last day of every month. I'll go online. I'll send in my tithes. We don't necessarily pray together about it. It's not coming from a cheerful heart or anything. It's just something that I do because I'm supposed to do it, right? Well, a 
couple months ago, we had an off-cycle payment come in from, uh, from work. And it was, a, you know, it was a good sum. We knew what was coming. And so we had already planned out what bills, what debts we were going to pay off, right? And we were thinking about Christmas and thinking about our vacation we had planned in January and all that stuff. So when that money hit the bank, I immediately go online, start paying all those bills, all those debts off, felt good about myself, you know, getting out of some debt. And then Christmas started to get a little closer, and we realized what we had budgeted for presents wasn't quite adding up, right? And then we got close to January when we had a vacation planned, and the money that we thought would be set aside for a rental car wasn't set aside anymore. And on top of that, the surgery that I just got uh, 10 days ago, I was supposed to have in December, in the middle of December, but four days before that surgery was scheduled, I ended up getting COVID. And it was the first time I've ever had COVID, four years strong without the Fauci cough, right? But, uh, but, but it ended up getting me. It ended up getting me at the worst possible time because for me, I had already met my out-of-pocket maximum for the year. I had already met my deductible for the year. So that surgery would have been free. I wouldn't have had to pay a dime for it because I had met all the obligations to the insurance company. But now, because I got COVID and the surgery had to be pushed into 2024, my insurance reset, and now we'll be paying thousands of dollars for it, right? There's financial implications. So after a couple of weeks, um, we really started to dig into why we were in that situation. I started to get more stressed out than ever. Honestly, I was borderline depressed, if not depressed, and my wife was noticing. I, I always stress a little bit about money, but it was like next level, and I couldn't figure out why. And so we sat down, thought about it, talked about it, and realized that when that money came in, we started paying off all these debts and everything, and I completely forgot to tithe, right? And, and I'm not saying that to make you think that God punishes people for not tithing. That's not it at all. I don't believe that God punishes you uh, one way or the other, right? What it is, or what I believe happens, is there's a set of principles in the Word of God, right? And God says that if you do these things, I will protect you, I will bless you. So you make the choice on whether you're going to be faithful or not. And if you are faithful, you have nothing to worry about. His protection is there. If you're not faithful, though, then you step outside of that protection, and the devil is just standing there waiting for you to do that so that he can strike. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. We were not faithful, and because of that, the devil, he jumped right into play and got right after us, right? But Praise God that we have a Father in heaven that loves us, that cares about us. He doesn't hold grudges. He forgives us. Like All of those things don't have to, to last. They don't have to be a continued burden, right? So we jumped right back onto the faithfulness train, and, and praise God, we've seen some fruit from that already. But, you know, you have to be careful, right? You've got to make sure that you are faithful with what you have. And, and when, you, when you're not, if you make a mistake, don't get down on yourself. Just recognize it. Ask God for forgiveness and just move forward, right? If you want to be blessed, you have to be faithful. If you want to be content, you have to be faithful. And I've got a little analogy or story, not necessarily a story, but some numbers for you. And I know some of the people in here hate numbers. My wife fell asleep in the first service when I talked about it because she hates numbers. But just think about this for a second. If you have a person who makes $10,000 a week and they give an offering of $500, and then you have another person who only makes $100 a week, and they give an offering of $10. Do you think that God would bless the person who gave $500 more so than he would bless the person that gave 10 No, not at all, because he doesn't care about the number. It's not about the amount that you give. What matters is that you're being faithful with what you have. 
that he honors the sacrifice. And a sacrifice of 10%, that $10 out of 100, is always going to be greater than a sacrifice of 5% or 500 out of 10,000, right? So it's not about the actual number. What matters is that we're being faithful to what God has told us to do. And for some people, you may question whether or not 10% is really what we're supposed to give. And honestly, what you give is between you and God. It's none of my business, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you can't be blessed if you don't give 10% because I'm not God and I don't know. What I can tell you is my experience, and I can tell you what I found in Scripture when I have done studies on this. And in Scripture, to me, it's pretty clear that we are supposed to give 10%. But if anybody wants to debate that or anything like that, just buy my wife and I dinner, and we'll be more than happy to, to talk about it. Right? But the first example of tithing is in Genesis chapter 14, when Abram gives a tithe to Melchizedek, right? That's the first instance of it. And then later on in, in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 through 21, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And God doesn't make mistakes, right? God does, there aren't things that are put in the Bible by accident, right? So to me, when it specifically says a tenth, there's a reason for that. And then if you look in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Nehemiah, Malachi, each of those have verses that specifically say to give a tithe, right? And then there's several other uh, books in the Bible that talk about giving your uh, tithes and offerings to the priests or the Levites, right? Which those are the ones that are in full-time ministry. And, And that's why I believe that we are to give our tithes and our offerings to the local church, right? Because it's scriptural. And again, some of you may say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's, that's the Old Covenant. We don't live under the law anymore. Well, I want to remind you, Jesus said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I'd be very careful trying to pick and choose which laws are still relevant and which ones are, right? And if Jesus chose to spoke about money 15% of the time, it's probably important, right? So if you're stressed out about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you'll drink, all of those things, I challenge you just to ask God, you know, what areas you can be faithful in that maybe you haven't. I challenge you to ask God what areas you're not content in, right? And it should be pretty easy if you know what you're stressed out about or you know what you're anxious about, that's probably the area that you need to look into, right? And, And I know there's people, myself included, that I have dreams and goals of wanting to provide more for your family, and that's, that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to give your family more, wanting to give your church more, your community more. But I would say don't wait until you have more to be faithful. Yeah. Be faithful with what you have now. And I'm not telling you to go crazy and give outside of your means. Please don't do that. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm simply asking you to give what God has commanded us to give. And if you do that, if you are faithful you will be content. There's not many things that I'm confident enough to challenge you on or to say, I promise you something will happen, but I am willing to stand up here and say, I challenge you. If you are faithful with the little, you will get more. And it's not, but it depends on your heart, right? If you're only going to give a tithe because, well, that guy said, if I give 10%, then I'm going to get rich. Well, that's not it. It, it. It's about your heart, right? And if in your heart, God is working on you in that particular area, and he says to give, and you give, he's going to bless you in that area. His word says that he will. I promise you, right? 
that small act of just being faithful and giving to God what he has asked of you, that will allow you to step into his protection and for him to bless you and your family. When you're faithful, you'll be content. When you're content, anxiety has no place in your life. Nancy, can you come up and play the keys while we pray? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for being such a good, good father. We thank you that you have given us your word, that you've given us the instructions on everything that we are to do. It doesn't have to be a mystery to us, Lord. And God, we thank you that you are a God of contentment, that you provide no matter what. So Lord, we just ask that you would open up our eyes today, the areas that we're stressed out in, the areas where we feel anxious about, Lord. Just ask that you would give us eyes to see where you're at in that situation. We ask that you would give us the the faith to be faithful. Help us to do what it is you have asked us and called us to do. Father God, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Holland. Life experiences. And those things that he spoke about, I have journeyed and walked through all that. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we choose to trust in the Lord our God. You lived in a nation that was a first world and you watched it become a third world. You wake up and your bank account is zero because of inflation. You best trust your God in whom you serve. You cannot trust in your own abilities because that's limited. And such power in all those, that, those, those points that have been said. Contentment. Your circle of contentment grows as, uh, as you're just newly married and then you have children and then you have more children and then you children grow up and as Harlan said that they have certain requests of your life as they grow up. You get to the place where they're all going to college and all need cars and all need insurances and all need fuel and all need everything. Your contentment circle is huge. But they slowly go and hopefully they leave and they start paying their own bills and all that kind of stuff. And that's a good time to reduce your circle of contentment. It's not time now to have the extra money to buy a bigger car and a bigger property and multiple properties. But if God's leading you to do that, that's great. Your contentment circle normally gets smaller because you have an empty nest. But then you have more to give. There's more things for the kingdom of God. Don't be anxious. Because when I'm talking about walking with God, if he's got your hand, you're good. You're good. I'm talking about 47 years of walking with him. He's good. He's good to his word. Hallelujah. So let's just pray. Father, we just want to release Holy Spirit just to have, have, a, have a time with us now just to kind of just prompt us in areas that we need to sort out in the anxiety list, Lord. And really, you don't want us to live there. So, Father, be anxious for nothing, but with everything, with prayer and supplications, make your requests known to him. And so, Father, we do that. Thank you, Father.
The lovely thing is when you give your life to Christ, you happen to give your whole life to Christ, which means it comes with your bank account, it comes with your family, it comes with everything else that comes part of your life. And so we have the privilege of giving our whole life to Christ and holding nothing back. And so every aspect is under, becomes under the hand of God. He said, because many of us give part of our lives, part of our, 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 our well-being, our, our, our businesses. And God says, give it all to me and allow me to be the, the boss. And then watch what happens. And then say, God, you got an issue today. <laughs> I, need, I need this or I need that. So you have an issue. And nothing's a big issue with God. Amen. So, Father, thank you. If we haven't given our lives to Christ, that's step one. And from there, you take the wheel. And so, Father, those that are in the sound of my voice have not given their lives to you. Father, I ask that you, by your Spirit, would prompt them to do that. That they would give their lives to you. Allow you to take the wheel. And I thank you that you would take the anxiety and you take and you bring peace into their hearts. And allow them to walk with you and talk with you. And I pray this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen and amen. I'm just prompted to do one other thing before I let you go. Those who know Dave and Carol Cape, Dave has went under, underwent surgery this last week. Got message this morning, it hasn't gone well, and so he needs prayer. And so I just want to, as a family, and he means so much to us, we want to lift him up to, in prayer right now. He had a medical procedure done. And uh, now they've taken the tubes and the machinery off. It's not going the right way. So we need God's hand to touch him, bring peace upon them. And so, Father, thank you. We bring Dave to you. We hold him up before your throne. We thank you, my God, that today, by your spirit, that you would touch, place your hand upon him. And, Father, that whatever is not right, be made right in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for all the things that need to function, to function in Jesus' name. We speak the Zoe life of God over Dave's life. We thank you, Father, as he's laid hands on countless thousands, Father. We thank you that you lay your hand upon him now and quicken his body. With the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we're asking for the, that Holy Spirit to quicken his body into full health. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, if there's a prayer request, if you need prayer, Please don't leave. Come up here. The prayer team will see you. We'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. Whether it's sickness, need, job, situation, whatever it may be, come up here and we'll pray for you. Amen. God bless you.